Hey, my name is Jay Warner Wallace, and I'm the author of Cold Case Christianity. I, I gotta tell you, if you're listening to this radio, you know that you're in a good place, and I cannot endorse more highly the intellect and the passion of your host. So just enjoy this radio program. Is he a real one? Radio is the real thing. And Veda, thank you so much for doing the most important work of the kingdom. Hello out there, this is Bobby Conway. You're listening to Is He a Real One Radio? And I'm now passing the baton off to my man, Veda. Now, what about if I take you to Colossians 2.9? Yes, you know, in him the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily, okay? And, and of course, uh, the scripture is referring to Jesus, and it says, for in him, for in Jesus, dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Okay. A oneness, uh, you know, a teacher might say that that's clear, the fullness of the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit dwells within yeah. Jesus. So you don't need three distinct persons. You have the three yeah. persons there in Jesus. Trinitarianism uh, is Who told false. you Godhead means the Trinity? Where'd you get that understanding? Where does the New Testament define the term Godhead as meaning the triune? Or mm. let me correct it, uh, meaning mm. the person that makes up the being of God, because they don't believe in three persons, right? Who told persons. you? Yeah. So who told you that the Godhead means the person that makes up the being of God? Godhead here. This is simply the English equivalent of Godhood. You have manhood. You have the fullness of manhood. Does that mean all human persons are compressed in you? Mm. No, sir. What does it mean for you to have the fullness of manhood? Meaning you possess the fullness of right. human I'm essence. A man. Yeah. The word in Greek is theotetos, theotes. Look at any lexicon. Theotes does not mean the person that makes up the being of God or the persons that make up the being of God, if you're a Trinitarian, it means that which makes God what he is, the essence of God. And Jesus fully possesses the essence of God. Mm. So where did you get that the person that makes up the being of God indwelled Jesus? Because that's how you're understanding the word Godhead. When Godhead is simply the English equivalent of Godhood, like when you talk about maidenhood or you talk about manhood, that's a quality that you possess. So the word in Greek, don't, look, don't take my word for it, theotetos, theotes, it's the word. It means the essence of God, the nature of God, the essential characteristics that make up the essence of God, the nature of God. And Jesus possesses the full essence of God. Okay, well... Uh, what about if we stay in the New Testament and uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 15, 27 through 28. And I'll read and then ask you the question. And the Bible says, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. Now, when the Bible says that when all things are subjected to God, then then the son himself will also be subjected to him, also be subjected to God. So Jesus is, is a created being who had a beginning and he has an ending. And this verse teaches that 
teaches that. It affirms that. That's why Jesus is so, subjected to God. Your response to that is okay, what? Mike, okay, you're confusing me. Is Jesus the human mode of the Father, or is he a creature distinct from the Father? So make up your mind and what you believe about modalism. First, tell me what you believe. Is the Son a creature distinct from the Father, or the human mode of the Father? So... I've actually, in my studies, I've, I've seen both of those arguments. Okay. So uh, now which argument do I need to address? The one that says he's a human creature? Yes. Or the, the mode of the father? Yes. This, he's a creature. That, that okay. He's a, yeah. What in that passage would show that he's a creature? That he's subject to the father? Yes. Okay. So you mean when Jesus was subject to his father and mother, his adoptive father, Joseph, and Mary's mother, that means he was less human than them? Mm. No. Because the same word, hupotasso, that's the Greek word used in 1 Corinthians 15, 28, is applied to Jesus in Luke 2, 51. And Luke was a companion of Paul. Read for me Luke 2, 51, chapter 2, verse 51. You said Luke 2, 51? Yeah, Luke chapter 2, verse 51. Why would being subject to the Father entail that he's a creature and less than the Father in essence? Because if that's the case, you just made Mary more human than Jesus, or you made Jesus not human. Because in Luke 2.51, what does it say about Jesus? It says, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. It's and the his mother... He was submissive, subject to who? To, to who? To, to his parents. So his adoptive father and mother. So according to yeah. your logic, because Jesus is submissive or subject, same Greek word, no one can deny this, it's hupotasso. That means Jesus can't be human because he's subject to his human parents. Mm. or he's yes. less human right right now are, are, are you, let me are let you, me let me let me so the people get it the son can be subject to the father and still be equal to the father in essence and nature and you add to the fact that he also has a human nature but i'm going to focus just on his divine nature because remember we believe jesus is the god man one person with the nature of god nature of man so as a man he's already subject to the father because his human nature is finite, limited, and temporal. But because he is truly God, an eternal person, he is equal to the Father in essence and nature and glory. But being the Son, he does submit himself to the Father. And to give analogy, why did I give Luke 2.51? Because no one is going to deny, no modalist is going to deny that Jesus was truly human to the core, fully human, perfectly human. He was human like us in every way with the exception of sin. But then if he's truly human and perfectly human, how could he be subject to Mary and Joseph? Does that mean he's not human? Of course, that's nonsense, because this is what we call a categorical fallacy. You're confusing two categories as if they're one. For example, well, I was going to say, I don't know, some people may not believe this. Anyway, uh, are you a boss or you're an employee? You work, you work for someone? Do you work for someone or you're the boss of someone? I don't know. Both. Do you work? Okay. Both. All right. You're the boss of your employee. Is he subject to you? Yes. Do you have authority over him? Yes. You can fire him, right? Yes. Therefore, he's not human. <laughs> that wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> so why would you then use such an argument for Jesus Christ? Just because he's subject to the Father, he's not God, according to whose logic? Hmm. That's good. That's, now, I, with that passage, do you have a response for that same yes. passage? So, 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 so you answered it if the argument is that Jesus is a distinct person, but the father is in him. But what about if Jesus is a different mode of the father, that so, same passage? So I would say, again, we have scripture confusing us and deceiving us because you're saying the son is the father in his human manifestation. So 
the father is going to subject himself to himself. That's basically what you're saying. Because if the son is the human mode of the father, so the father is going to subject himself to himself in a different mode. How much sense does that make? In the Bible, you're making it mincemeat, and you're saying it's incoherent babble. Because the mm. plain language is the son is not the father. Mm. But you're saying, no, he is the father in a human mode. So you have one mode subjecting itself to the other mode. How much sense does that make? And how can we truly know God? Because now you're saying language means nothing. Mm. Okay. I got, I got two more for you. I got what? two more for you. Let's do John 14, 9 through 11. And this reads, Jesus said to him, and by the way, y'all, I, because we had to make adjustments for how this show would go, I didn't have a chance to send, to send Sam this stuff that I'm asking. We're kind of just talking freely, you know, but this is John 14, verses 9 through 11. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The word says that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Okay, and what's so, the objection? So the objection would be that this is saying that if you have seen, uh, how can you say, I'm sorry. Yeah. Whoever has seen, seen Jesus, me, seen yeah. The Father, right? Yeah. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Why? Why? Did, why is that? What, what was the point he made? How do you know if you see him, you see the Father? Because he explained it, right? He did explain it, but I'd like for you to teach. No, but why I'm saying, not... what was his explanation? What did he say? How? When you see me, see the Father. Why? Why he gave it there? Why? Well, well, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in? So because me? the Father is indwelling him, right? Yeah. So. If the logic is the Father indwells Jesus, and therefore Jesus <clears throat> manifests the Father perfectly because the Father is working in union with the Son, because he's working in union with the Son, and that means he's the Father, then let's be consistent because the same Bible says Jesus is in you, the Holy Spirit is in you, and God is in you. So that means you are actually Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father all in one. What do I mean? Same chapter. Read John 14, 16 to 17. Same chapter. You said 16 and 17? Yes. Okay. And that reads as, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So the Holy Spirit is going to be in believers, right? Yeah. Okay. That means now believers are the Holy are Spirit. Now they're the same person based okay, on now, the logic. of Logic. But it gets read. worse. Oh, it gets worse, though. That doesn't get better for them. John 14, 20 to 21. Let me go down to 20 and 21. Mm -hmm. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Hmm. I see. So wait, wait, hold on, wait, wait. So if the father being in Jesus and Jesus manifesting the father because he's working in and through the son makes Jesus the father. Now Jesus is in you, but if Jesus is in you, the father's in you, that means I'm looking at the father and the son when I look at you. So you are Jesus Christ. So you died on the cross for my sins and you rose again. Wow. Yeah. All right. That's you good. got it? I mean, I do you want it. me to give you more examples? 
Nah, that's that's good. I just wanted to hear you respond to the to the Yeah, these no, are weak the yeah, these are weak objections. Yeah. Okay, well I got one more. I know this is your favorite. I know this is probably the hardest for you to respond to. Um oh, is, yeah. Isaiah nine six. <laughs> yeah, how you know, how you know that's where I was going. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the most pathetic of the point, because I even have an arc on this, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going. Yeah. All right. All right. So Isaiah nine six mm-hmm. and and the Bible reads, and uh, it's the the oneness argument here is is there's an agreement that this is a prophecy of Jesus coming. Yeah, Isaiah nine, Isaiah nine six says, "For to us a child is born, talking about Jesus. To us a son is given. Okay, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Jesus is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Jesus is Mighty God, Everlasting Father." Jesus is everlasting father. He says, Prince of peace. Now, the oneness argument will say, well, it says here clearly, clearly that Jesus is everlasting father. So he is the eternal father in heaven. Jesus and the father are one. Your response is what? So number one now, so now the argument is Jesus is the father in human manifestation, right? Yeah. But didn't you just say there was another sect of modalism that says, no, Jesus is simply a human man, yes. a human person distinct. So they can't have their cake and eat it too. So is this showing that the father himself became the man, Jesus? If so, then that means Jesus is not simply a human man, a human person and dwelt by the father. He is the father. So that t- form of modalism goes out the window. But secondly, so we can put that out the window. Right. For those who do believe that he is the human mode of the father, you have a problem because if you go back and there are translations that even render it this way, the expression is aviad or abiad, abiad. Literally, it's the father of everlastingness or of the father eternity. I prefer to use the word everlastingness because when you speak of eternal, you're basically talking about timelessness. Creatures are not timeless. Only God is. Every creature, even angels, are bound to time, space, and place. The difference is we who are believers and angels who are created will live forever. So their life is everlasting, but it's not timeless. We're still bound to time. So I want to make that distinction. Literally, it says the father of everlastingness. He is the father of eternity. What does that mean? Don't take my word for it. Look at any lexical source. Oftentimes, the word father can mean the possessor of something, the source of something. So literally, what it's saying is, this child is the father of everlastingness, the father of eternity. And eternity in the sense, not of timelessness, but in the sense that everlastingness, never-ending life, Mm. comes from him because he possesses it, he's a source of it, and he confers it upon us. To prove to you that the word Ad, that's the word everlasting or eternal, means never ending, everlasting. Let me show how it's used in Isaiah 57, 15. Use, go there and look at it for me. Isaiah 57, 15. All right. And verse 15 mm-hmm. reads, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity. That's the word ad who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit Mm 
to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Okay, now it says that God inhabits, inhabits eternity. What in the world does that mean? What does it mean that God inhabits eternity? Now, you don't need to take my word for it. I'm going to give you various translations because I wrote an article on this here. Christian Standard Bible, for the high and exalted one who lives forever. Common English Bible, the one who's high and lifted up who lives forever. <clears throat> right? And then this is uh, the complete Jewish Bible. For thus says the high exalted one who lives forever. Contemporary English, our God, our holy God lives forever. Now, I can go on and on. Names of God Bible, the high and lofty, lofty one who lives forever. The high and lofty one lives forever. New American Bible Revised Edition. For thus says the high and lofty one, the one who dwells forever. New American Standard Version. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever. Do you get the point? What it means for God to inhabit Ad? The word is Ad. The one who lives forever. So now with that said, what does it mean the child is the father of Ad? He is the possessor of this quality of life never-ending life. It's not saying he's God the Father. It's saying that he is the one who gives never-ending life, who confers everlasting life. And that's exactly who Jesus is. Is it not in John 1 where it says, in him was life, and that life was the light of one, uh, light of men, John 1, 4? Is it not Jesus who says, I'm the resurrection and the life? Is it not Jesus who says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. So the first one was John eleven twenty five. 25. So what does it mean for the child to be Abiad or Abiad? It means he's the father of everlasting life, the father of everlastingness, meaning he possesses never ending life and never ending life comes from him as a gift to us. That's all it means. Doesn't mean he's God the father. What, what I love about how you answer that, Sam, is because it not only is it a correction of the of the objection, but it excuse me, but it's also a verse that disproves the oneness point, you know, because oneness will teach that Jesus had a beginning and he has an ending. Yes. Right. But yes. this but this verse that is often cited to uh, to support or to attempt to support oneness theology is saying that Jesus is actually, <laughs> he is everlastingness and he's the father of everlastingness, meaning he did not have a beginning. He does not have an ending because he is eternal. That's right. He always has and been. That life that we enjoy, never ending everlasting life comes from him. Like I said, I gave you the verses or like in John 10, 28, I give them everlasting life. And the most apt description of this is 1 John 1, verses 1 to 2. Read that for me. 1 John 1, verses 1 to 2. If you want to know what it means for the child to be Abiad or Abiad, not that he's God the Father, but he's the possessor of everlasting life, the one from whom never-ending life comes, the one who confers and bestows on us never-ending life. And here you'll find in 1 John 1, verses 1 to 3, John's way of saying what Isaiah said, not the same way, but saying basically the same thing in a different manner and still affirming that Jesus is not the Father. Because if you go to 1 John 1, 1 John, the epistle, John, 1 John 1, verses 1 and 2, but then also read 3. See what it says. All right. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father. Pause and right was there for a second, brother. 
Notice Jesus is the word of life. He is life itself, and he's the eternal life that was with the Father. And then what does it say? Finish it. And was made manifest to us. And then go all the way to three. See what it says. That which we have... That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm, I'm confused. How can Jesus be the eternal life with the Father, showing he's distinct from the Father, if Jesus is a creature who came into being or simply a different mode of the Father? You know what? You know what, uh, you know, what's kind of standing out to me, Sam, is, you know, how I mentioned how, you know, in, in my research, I see, you know, sort of like two arguments for the oneness argument. You know, one might be that, you know, Jesus is another mode of the father and another might be that Jesus is a distinct person, but the father is in him. But it seems like that's because of scriptures like this. So it's like, depending on which scripture, you know, is going to point out to attempt to have a better argument, they'll go to one of those uh two um sects of exactly of they're gonna one, change one the position, is that, yeah. right so, so which one will potentially make the most sense depending on which scripture yeah, yeah. now here in first john it, it cannot be a human creature who said to be eternal life because a human creature is not eternal life only god is eternal life so you can't say this is the human jesus because that would be idolatry ascribing to a creature what is true only of god and then secondly, it makes no sense that this eternal life is the mode of the Father, because then again, language means nothing, because what John is basically saying is not that the eternal life was with the Father and that he's distinct from the Father. The eternal life is the Father in a different mode, but that's not the plain language. Because then how do you have fellowship with the Father and the Son if the Son is not a distinct divine person right, who became right. flesh? Because if he's simply a mode of the Father, you don't have fellowship with the Father and the Son. You're having fellowship with one person in two modes. It's like saying you're having yeah. fellowship with Sam, the husband, and Sam, the son. Right. So you're having fellowship with both Sam, the husband, and the son, two different persons. You'll say, no, it's the same person, but he may have different roles. How does that make sense? And if it's referring to Jesus, the human, the son, the human son cannot be in fellowship with all believers the world over because that presupposes omnipresence and omniscience. And the human son is not omnipresent, nor is he om om omniscient. Wow. Man, can, can we, uh, you got another, before I go to yeah, go one, one last thing, you got another point there? No, no, that's what you're saying. So I hope it's clear so far. I'm not confusing people. No, I, I think I think it's good. I mean, you know, I'm the I'm the human sacrifice on sounding uh, on on sounding confused. You know, when you you know when you, when you trip and stuff. So hopefully everybody gets it. Hey, look. So I want to close on uh, on your second favorite after Isaiah, um, after, after uh, yeah, <clears throat> after Isaiah nine six, and we're going to talk about baptism. Yes. And Acts 2.38 says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for yes. the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Sam, this says here in the book of Acts, now, this is a historical event that is being reported to us. We are reading about a historical event. So, so the, this is an event that happened before the four Gospels were written. And this is saying that Peter said, 
repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So even if I were to argue that the baptismal formula that they use when they immerse someone in water is I baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. How do you take Acts 2.38 and ignore everything that precedes it that shows that Jesus is not the Father, he's not the Holy Spirit? Because you started Acts 2.38, but why didn't you read Acts 2.32 and 33? I have no problem doing that, my brother. Yeah. You said 32 and 33. Yes, and... this is not talking about God raised Jesus, and then what happened to Jesus when he was raised? <laughs> oh. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses mm -hmm. being therefore exalted at the right hand of god and having received from the father the promise of the holy spirit he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing what did jesus pour out having received from the father the promise of the hold up being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the father, the promise of the Holy spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So what did he pour out? Uh, you tell us. It's the Holy spirit, man. It's the day of Pentecost when they're filled with the spirit and speaking in tongues. What did he hey. pour out? It's right there. Right. What did he pour out? Okay. He poured out the Holy spirit. But wait, I thought the Holy spirit is the father. Okay. I see where you're going. So are you now trying to argue that Jesus is a different mode of the Father and the Holy Spirit is a different mode of the Father? So he receives the different mode of the Father from the Father and he pours out the Father upon, his, upon the believers. That's what you want me to believe? Mm. That's not so, what I want you to believe. No, but I'm saying you argue as the modalist, dude. Right. Pretend you're the modalist. Stick in one position so I can nail you on it. So don't keep switching when you're getting busted. Okay? Focus. Modalist, Focus. So he's at the right hand of God, the father. So now plain language, doesn't that mean he's not the father? If you're at my right hand, does that mean you're me? It means I'm a distinct person at your right hand. And then when I receive something from you, and then whatever I receive, I then pour it out and I give it to others. Isn't that thing what I receive from you different that's from a different, you two? Yeah, that's a, that's a different. So let's thing. ignore that and focus on Acts 2.38 to prove our corrupt theology. Mm. Let's prove that. Even in the verse you cite, it says, repent and be baptized, everyone, in the name of Jesus Christ, who should receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what are they receiving? The gift of the Holy Spirit? So is that the Father in a different mode? Is that the Son in a different mode? And who then sends you that gift? Jesus. So what is Jesus sending? The Father? I guess another mode of himself. So how does this make sense? So again, language means nothing. And the language of the apostles is deceitful and misleading because the plain language shows they are not the same person. Amen. But according to modalism, they are the same person in different modes, which is not the plain reading of the passage. If I'm at the right hand of someone, I'm not that someone. And if I receive something from someone, that thing I receive from him is not him. It's distinct from him and distinct from me, especially if I give it to others. So let's ignore that. Let's focus on Acts 2.38. Now let me comment on Acts 2.38. And here's my challenge to anyone, any modalist. I want them to show me anywhere in the book of Acts, this was the baptismal formula. See, there's a difference between saying, get baptized for the sake of Jesus. Get back baptized as a sign of you submitting to the authority of Christ. And that being the formula uttered when you're immersed in water. My mm -hmm. challenge to the modalist, show me a single place in the book of Acts 
This was the formula, the words they uttered when they immersed someone in water. To say get baptized in, in the name of Jesus means get baptized for his sake as acknowledging that you're submitting to his authority, the one that you rejected. That's all it means. So where is the baptismal formula there? Sounds good. Sounds good. Show me the baptismal formula, my friend. Uh, well, you can't. I'm, I'm convinced. Yeah, it ain't there. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. that now, now, is there anything that I didn't ask that you commonly hear from a oneness perspective, you know, yeah. that, that you think is worth mentioning? That's a popular uh, argument or scripture. They basically try to goldmine the Old Testament to show that the Jehovah or Yahweh is a singular person who is the Father. There is no Son in the Old Testament. Now, they can't say that about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit appears all throughout the Old Testament. So that's basically one of their chief arguments, which is why I challenged Stephen Ritchie to debate me, does the Old Testament teach a trinity? Because if I can prove that even the Old Testament posits a triune God or that God is multipersonal, modalism is over because their strong point is the old testament they think the old testament confirms their position right new testament a little harder for them but they think they got it when it comes to the old testament if you can decimate their objection from the old testament the gig is up right. modalism is a heresy it's a lie it's a distortion of scripture so one of the chief arguments they bring up is you don't find the son appearing in the old testament as a distinct person from the father there was no son in the old testament now let me correct that it is true you may not find copious references to the Son operating in the Old Testament under the name Son. Let me, again, let me repeat it again. Under the name Son. But it is not true that you don't find copious references to a distinct divine person from Yahweh, who is God, who is Yahweh, appearing in visible form, distinct from Yahweh, set by Yahweh, and does things that only God can do. Uh, i.e. the angel of the Lord, i.e. the word of God. So if you're asking, can I show multiple references to the Son appearing with the name Son in the Old Testament, that I can't show you as many references. There is one, which is a nightmare for their position. But can I show you a distinct divine person from Yahweh who happens to be Yahweh, who happens to be God, who is called God, worshiped as God and can do what only God does, and yet he's sent by God? Absolutely clear as day. And then I can show you that's the person who becomes Jesus. I gave you a foretaste of it a little earlier when he talked about the angel of the Lord, right? Amen. Amen, yeah. But there is one reference, really clear, that the son was there operating with the father before he became man, and he is equal to the father and incomprehensible to the father. There's one. Okay. Okay, now. Go to Proverbs 30, verses 3 and 4. Now, what I want you to do, bring up the ESV, Proverbs 30, verse 3. Because I want to show you something. That it's, you're not going to find in your English, but it's in the Hebrew. Proverbs 30, verse 3. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Now, Holy One there, because you don't see it, because it's English. Let me first explain what Agur is saying, because the one who wrote this is Agur. He's saying... When I think about God and reflect on God, I am an ignoramus. I'm like a beast. I do not truly know him, nor can I comprehend him. How do I know that's what he's talking about? Because notice what he mentions in verse 4. Because yeah. what does he say in 4? 
Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Okay, wait. Not what will the son who will come into existence later, what his name will be. What is his name? What is his son's name? At that moment, God and his son exist. Now, let me explain what he doesn't mean when he says, what is his name? He's not saying, is his name Baal or what he means is, because in the biblical mindset, when you speak of name, you're speaking of the characteristics, the essence, the nature, or the authority of someone. That he means to say, what is his nature like? Have you comprehended it? What is his son's nature like? Can you comprehend that? And not simply, what is his name? Let me prove it to you. Because if you go on and read verses 5 to 9, he knows what God's name is because he mentions it. Read verses 5 to 9. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you. You didn't, Keep, you're missing something all the way to nine, bro. You said read all the way to what? Nine. Oh, and I say, who is the Lord? Unless I be poor and still and profane the name of my God. So does he know his name? Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Unless so does I he be know poor. his name? Does he? You, you kill me, brother. I'm going to retire from apologetics. How can he not know his name when he just mentioned his name? The Lord. Okay, I'm about to retire, bro. I got to go. Okay. Does he know his name? Well, yeah, he knows his name, but I'm trying to get you to say it. I'm... No, why don't you say it, player? So I know you're following <laughs> me, man. So he knows his name is the Lord. He knows his name is God. Yes. So what did he mean in verse 4? What is his name? What is his son's name? Tell me if you know. When he goes on to tell you his name is God, his name is Lord. What does he mean in verse well, he, four? He was saying that he can't compare to the knowledge, wisdom, the essence of this so, Lord that uh, he's talking about. So it doesn't mean, I don't know what his name is. I don't know if it's the Lord, Yahweh. No, he means, can you comprehend the nature of God and the nature of his son? Look at the things they do. They ascend and descend. They control the winds and the waves, and they've established the ends of the earth. These are acts that are beyond our ability to comprehend. Can you truly know the nature of God and the nature of a son? Now, can I ask you a question? How did he know that God has a son who can do what God does and is just as incomprehensible of God if the son didn't already exist at that time? Ask that one more time. How did he know mm -hmm. that God has a son who can do what God does, whose nature is incomprehensible like God if the son didn't exist at that time? Mm. He wouldn't be able to. But he does. He says, what is his name? What is his son's name? Mm -hmm. But then here's where it gets really amazing. You know that word holy one in verse 3? Proverbs 30, yeah. verse 3? Uh -huh. It's plural. It's the, in Hebrew, it's kadoshim. It's literally, I have no knowledge of the holy ones. It's plural. He's speaking of two holy ones. And who mm. are the two? Verse 4 tells you, God and his son. So here's an explicit reference to mm. two holy persons, both of whom are uncomprehensible, who can do what only God can do and oh, are beyond wow. comprehension. Wow. And what is his name? And what is his son's name? It finally dawned you know. on you, bro? Yeah. Man, man you I... killed that man. <laughs>
Let me retire from apologetics. I'm a terrible communicator, man. That's it, man. I'm going to go sell pizzas for a living. Stop it. Did it, you finally get what it, he's saying here? I got you. I got God you. and his son do things beyond comprehension. God and his son ascend and descend. God and his son control Perfect. the winds and the waves. Yeah, God, God and his son, and his son have established the ends of the earth. Even, right. God and and, the son, and yeah. that's why in verse three, it's holy ones. I have no knowledge of those. It's plural in Hebrew. And if you don't believe me, Look at the New Revised Standard Version. Look at, if you have it, go to New Revised Standard Version. How do they render the word Kadoshim? Because in Hebrew, it's Kadoshim. They show you it's plural. Because notice what it says in verse 3 of the New Revised Standard Version. Okay. And we have verse 3, right? Yep. Verse, I have not learned wisdom, nor have I, yep, nor have I knowledge of the holy ones. Plural. Why plural? Because God and his son, they are the holy ones yeah. who defy comprehension, who do things that you can't fully comprehend, who do things that only God can do. Now, how does it tie in with Jesus? He's already there and he's already known to have existed before he became flesh. But then to prove it, Jesus, notice what it says, who has ascended and descended, right? Says that, right? Who yeah. has ascended and descended? Read John 3.13 for me, for the icing of the cake. John 3.13 for me. All right. For the icing of the cake, on the cake. This is saying, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Okay, now I'm confused. Didn't Proverbs 30 verse 3 say, who has ascended and descended? What is God's name and his son's name? If you, Tell me if you can. And then Jesus a thousand years later say, I am the one who ascends and descends. Wow. Sounds like he's saying he is God. Did you catch it? And he is the son that was there already. And Agur knew he existed at the time of his writing before Jesus became flesh. Mm. Wow. There you go, bro. Good stuff. I'm not trying Good to stuff. hear that. See what your man got to do. <laughs> Now I would love, man. I, you know, I, I, I don't question God's will. If it's, you know, not my will, but Thy will, will be, be done, done. You know, but you know, I would love for, you know, uh, uh to have a known, sure. and respected, you know, oneness teacher, Amen. um, dialogue with you about some of these, some of these passages. You know, now, I don't just bring, uh, anybody on you know on is he a real one radio when we have this i like to have people who are you know who are proven you know that they represent their position well so you know so you know we'll see if the uh you know if the gentleman who who we were uh, in, in talks with is able to be available if not you know i'll reach out to somebody else and see if sam is Amen. available I'm available my man my man so thank you so much for teaching us on the trinity Hallelujah. And 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 giving us responses to oneness objections and and even when we were just uh, focusing on the Trinity, I, I love how we were able to focus in and zero in and really park, you know, at you know at a couple of scriptures and just park there before we moved on, you know. So that was really really good stuff, Sam. I'm Amen. super grateful for you. You got any um, thoughts or statements of, yeah. of summary that you that's related to this subject yeah. that you want to say? Obviously, I want to encourage people to do evangelism and apologetics. And the first thing they need to do is to study that word, the Bible, prayerfully, seeking the Holy Spirit to guide them and illuminate them. 
to understand what it means, to have no doubt it's the word of God, and live it out for the glory of Jesus, and then make use of the resources that the Spirit has provided online free of charge. Thank God for the internet. You got all these excellent websites by excellent men of God. They have YouTube videos like I have my YouTube channel, Shamunian, David Woodak, 17 Apologetics, websites where we give you plethora of information proving the Trinity is biblical, proving that the Father and the Holy Spirit are three eternally distinct persons. Also proving that the Holy Spirit is not simply a force, but a person of God, that the Bible is the word of God. And all of this stuff is available free, of, free, on, free online. Make use of it. Sacrifice some time to listen, to study, absorb the information, use it for the glory of Christ, because we need more soldiers in the battle, because King Jesus is worthy, that we be used by the Spirit to destroy the kingdom of darkness in order to get people saved from the darkness and bring them into the glorious light of Jesus Christ and to refute all these satanic counterfeits, these false Jesuses, these false gospels, these false spirits. Because Paul warned us, he said, Satan will try to seduce people from the true Jesus by preaching another Jesus or presenting a different spirit or a different gospel. We need to be God's agents to destroy these satanic counterfeits and lies and pre present the true God as he is according to his word for the glory of Christ and live it out but we need to be prayed up and we need to be filled with the spirit. Let's do it because Jesus is worthy and keep praying for me and my two daughters that the Lord Jesus will bless us, give us the health we need to glorify him, the provision that I can raise them in the love of the Lord and that I finish the race with integrity for the glory of Jesus as he sanctifies me from my stains of the flesh and makes me more holy for his glory because Jesus is worthy. May he increase, may we decrease. We love you, son of God. We love you, Lord Jesus. So thank you, brother. And, and and you go live a lot, and you yes, have and you have some really 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 great material uh, going a lot deeper on Trinitarianism, uh, responses to oneness just like this, responses to, to Jehovah's Witnesses. Like it's great teaching material. Can you say your YouTube again so people can yes. go in there and subscribe and follow you? It's my last name Shamoon, but with an I A N I A N Shamoonian S H A M O U N I A N Shamoonian. So subscribe and watch. But remember. This is not for the faint-hearted, because I can go for the juggler and be in your face. So just be warned, because I don't want you to start crying. Say, oh, he's too mean. Eh? <laughs> it's not like you, Vade. Vade, you handsome and you a player, man. Player hater. All good. All good. Well, thank you so much, Sam. Thank, thank you, you for blessing us. Thank you for teaching. And as we always ask every time we close, is he a real one? Yes, he is. And the he that we talking about is Jesus, y'all. A-A-Amen.